back, beloved. Uh, pretty straightforward. Today's message is going over the dragon, the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. The reason I'm making this video, I've actually had several messages uh, from several different people at different times uh, help, like basically asking me the same question. Who are all these characters? So at first I didn't even want to do it. You know, I just, I don't know why. It's just some things in your brain, you feel like they won't be as interesting as other times. But as I was going through it today, wow, was I wrong. There was, it, it was great going through this study on each of these four main characters in, in Revelation. Um, and it gave me a lot of new insight, but there's also a lot of practical application. As you learn about these figures, you're obviously always bringing it back to Jesus Christ and, and to practical application and theology and insight. So it was a really great study and uh, I hope you guys like it. And so basically we're going to go through a very 30,000 foot overview of these four characters, but uh, I kind of like giving everything away in the beginning and then proving it all through scripture. That way you guys have a framework for this video. The whole goal is that after this video, as you're reading through Daniel and Revelation and throughout the, the epistles like 2 Thessalonians and 1 John, you have a template where it just makes a lot more sense how connected all these figures are. So let me give everything away now, but then we'll dive into scripture. So the dragon very clearly is the devil. It is Satan, that, that serpent of old, the, the, you know, Lucifer, the fallen angel. Okay. That is the dragon. And I'll prove that from scripture in a minute, the beast. Okay. That's really just another name for the antichrist. Now, that name is typically associated with his kingdom, but, but a kingdom, a government can't not have a king, right? A lot of times in the Bible, the kingdom and the king are used interchangeably. So the beast is sometimes uh, referring to the Antichrist as an individual. Sometimes it's referring to his entire, you know, government, his army, his political power. Um, the Antichrist will go over him, kind of explain him on a 30,000 foot view. He is the coming one day, we don't know when, world ruler. He will, he will rule the final kingdom. Um, I, you know, Daniel's fourth kingdom. I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. So he'll be the coming final world ruler. And the antichrist is against Christ. He's the enemy of Christ or in the place of Christ, a false Christ. And the antichrist will actually be both. He'll be both a false Christ and an antichrist. And finally, the false prophet, okay, or the beast from the earth from Revelation 13. I'll really break this down so that you can see it. These are all so connected and they all have the same mission. Um, and, and it's very straightforward. You know, the dragon is the devil. The Antichrist, you know, it's kind of like how Jesus is God in human flesh. The Antichrist is like the devil in human flesh, right? The same mission, same motives, same desires, okay? The beast is a name for the Antichrist, but it's also talking about that kingdom where he'll rule the whole world. And the false prophet is a world religious leader. The Antichrist will be a government leader. He'll make war with the world. He will be worshiped, right? Uh, kind of like as an emperor, a king claiming to be God. 
Um, but the false prophet will be a world religious figure. He's actually the one that causes people to make statues and idols and images of the Antichrist to get the mark of the beast, to associate yourself with him, to worship him. So he leads the world in worshiping the Antichrist. He's kind of like his right-hand man. And so these three are kind of like the unholy trinity, right? The dragon's almost like the father, the Antichrist is almost like the son, and the false prophet's almost like a false holy spirit, right? Just a, just you know, a, a back and forth there, just to get your, your brain understanding it, right? The unholy trinity is not in scripture. Um, but before we, so we're going to start with the dragon, some of my favorite verses to explain it. And if you follow my channel, I love to go old and new. I want you to see this from the Old Testament, thousands of years ago, 3,500 years ago, 2,700 years ago, to the New Testament, 1,900 years ago, 2,000 years ago. And to me, that's amazing when you see the same story coming to life again and again. So I wanted to start with this verse. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's all about the word of God and how just how we need it, how we need to hold it up. We need to study it. It's our life. And this is just a verse I love because today it can be a little complex as we're going through these four characters and just bear with me. You might have some people have to watch the videos two or three times to really understand them. But I hope you'll you'll be edified. I hope you'll be built up from them. Um, Psalm 119 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. Okay, the, the unfolding, the ex explanation, going deeper in, going from milk to meat gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And so we have to understand wisdom, discernment, true knowledge. It's a gift from God. Now you're responsible to strive after it and seek it and, and find God in his word and study it and be diligent, you know, to be approved. But it's all a gift. And so I usually start, you know, my time reading the Bible with Lord, I'm before your words. Teach me. That's just, you know, me asking. And, and I, I believe the Lord's answered that prayer. Um, and so now I'm going to start with the dragon. Uh, Revelation 12 gives us a vision. And what's so funny, some people say all of Revelation is just a mystic vision and you can't take any of it literally. If that were the case, why would it start Revelation 12 with a great sign appeared in heaven? This is a sign. This is a vision. And I'm going to go through it very quickly because today we're just focusing on the dragon. I'm not breaking this down. So I'm going to go through it quickly. Study this on your own time. Be a Berean. It says, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. This is Israel. You can go back to Exodus. You can go back to Joseph's dream, okay? And there was the 11 stars, uh, which were his brothers bowing down to him. He would have been the 12th star. So this is just, you know, the whole Bible's written like a parable. If you study it, it's very straightforward if you're diligent. If you don't, it's all just, you know, gobbledygook to you, right? But if you study it, it's very straightforward. This is Israel, the nation of Israel. And then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth, okay? That's it's talking about Jesus Christ. You'll see that in a second. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon. Okay. Now it has seven heads and 10 horns. We do not need to go over this today. I don't want you to get lost. This dragon is against Israel. And here's why. Oh, just a little bit more about the dragon first. His tail, the tail of the dragon, drew a third of the stars of heaven. It talks more about this in a bit. A third of the angels followed Lucifer in his rebellion. He throws them to the earth. And then it says, the dragon stood before the woman, Israel, who was ready to give birth 
to devour her child. Remember, just like Moses in Exodus, King Herod before Jesus was born, right? The slaughtering of the infants, that's satanically inspired, right? The, the slaughtering of the infants, it's so cruel, okay? But that's, I think, what this is talking about here, to devour her child as soon as it was born. It says she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. This is the coming Messiah of Psalm 2, written a thousand years before Jesus is born. And of course, Jesus is this coming child, right? And her child was caught up to God and his throne. We know Jesus, after he was resurrected, he ascended. So this sign is very straightforward. It's talking about how the devil wanted to kill Jesus. He probably thought he was successful when he did kill Christ, or not he did it, but when Christ died on the cross, he thought he was winning. But in reality, that was all predetermined by God and, and, and as a sacrifice for our sins. But this is giving you, uh, you, know, the, the, you know, it's just explaining what the dragon does. He's against Christ, right? He's against Israel because they gave birth to Christ. It says then, and this is now, this is what I love about Revelation chapter 12. It's going from the Old Testament, from the dragon falling in rebellion with one third of the angels, you know, before Adam and Eve, right? Then it goes to Jesus Christ now, right? So there's thousands of years of history right there. And then in these six verses alone, it goes all the way to the end of time, to the end of the tribulation. I mean, how cool is this? It's amazing. So it says, then the woman Israel fled into the wilderness. And this is high level stuff. We're not going to go through all this today. She has a place prepared by God during the tribulation. It'll be a horrible time. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of Jewish people's trouble. Uh, watch a Holocaust documentary. It'll be like that, but worse, okay? That they would feed her there 1,260 days. That's three and a half years, three and a half Jewish years. And very straightforward if you study this. So Israel will be supernaturally, physically protected by God from the Antichrist, from the devil, from all the nations gathering around her, a portion of Israel that is, is the chosen of God, the saints, right? The Jewish saints will be protected for 1,260 days somewhere in the wilderness. It's going to be an amazing time to see God supernaturally protect them and frustrate the plans of the Antichrist and the devil, okay? But very straightforward. It goes on to say in Revelation 13, it's talking about the Antichrist, okay? And so now we're flipping from the devil to the Antichrist just really quickly. We're still on the dragon. I, I haven't you know made my case on the dragon yet. But we talked about that 1,260 days. Well, remember, the Antichrist, it's, he's on the same mission as the devil, right? He's inspired by the devil. And so uh, this is talking about the Antichrist in Revelation 13. It says he's given a mouth speaking blasphemies and authority to continue for 42 months. That's 1,260 days. So very straightforward. The devil is going to be against them as well as the Antichrist. He's going to make war against them. And so a lot of people will read, oh, well, 42 months, well, 1,260 days. These are separate periods of time. No, these are the same period of time. It's the three and a half, you know, of the seven-year tribulation. It's the last three and a half years, and it's just different lingo, but it's very straightforward, okay? Goes on to say, war broke out in heaven. Michael, the archangel Michael, I'm going to bring you to Daniel 12 in a minute. In the Old Testament, you find out that the archangel Michael is the protector of the nation of Israel, of the Jewish people in Israel, right? So war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fight with the dragon, the devil, and the dragon and his angels fight. This is during the tribulation, there's literally war going on in heaven, and it also plays out on earth, okay? His angels fought, 
but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. If you read Ephesians 6, the place of the devil and demons, yes, it is they roam about the earth, but they exist in the galaxies, in God's universe right now. Not the third heaven where God, you know, where Jesus is in the presence of God, but within the universe. Okay, and they're gonna be thrown out of that and and sort of put under the atmosphere, sort of confined to earth. Okay. Revelation 12, 9 goes on to say, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old. It's going back to Genesis 3 and saying like the devil took on the form of a snake, right? Just like I believe the devil will take on the form of the Antichrist, right? The great dragon is cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He's the deceiver. So very clearly, this dragon is the devil. Very straightforward, okay? He's cast to earth and his angels are cast out with him. Now I want to go back to the Old Testament so you can see this in Daniel chapter 12. What's amazing about this is uh, these books are written six, 700 years apart. I mean, Daniel's, you know, Old Testament, Revelation is New Testament. Most of eschatology is just lining up Daniel with Revelation. It's a perfect puzzle. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful to me. Um, Daniel chapter 12 says, at that time, Michael will stand up. Remember, we just read in Revelation that there's war in heaven and Michael fights against the devil, right? And his angels. And, and so Daniel 12 is talking about this horrible time of tribulation coming for Daniel's people, the Jewish people, right? This is why if you study eschatology, you tend to keep your eyes focused on what's going on in Israel. Not with definite certainty, but it's certainly interesting because that's how the world ends, right? That's how Daniel and Revelation play out. So the Jewish people back in their land now, I've made a lot of videos on that. That's fascinating stuff. Can't be conclusive. No one knows the day or hour. It's just fascinating. And so at this time of, of this great tribulation, you'll see Michael will stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, the Jewish people. And there will be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation. Worse than the flood. Worse than the Roman siege of Jerusalem. Worse than World War II. This is uh, the worst time in history, even to that time. And it says, at that time, your people will be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. That is the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the universe. And so all those redeemed in Christ. So it's talking about uh, the coming redemption, but a, a time of trouble, a time of tribulation before it. And he gives us some more characteristics about this time. It's, it's incredible. Daniel 12, 7 says, you know, how long will it be? I just want you to focus in, in the middle here. There's an angel speaking. And Daniel says, how long is this going to be? And he says, it'll be for a time, times, and half a time. You see that parable-like lingo in the Bible. I love it. It's 42 months, three and a half years. Uh, 1260 days, exactly three and a half years. And here, this horrible time coming for Israel is a time, one, times, two, and half a time, three and a half. I mean, it just makes perfect sense. And it says, when the power of the holy people, the separate people, has been completely shattered. That'll be all the Jewish people that are chosen of God and all the Gentiles who believe on Christ during the tribulation. So when their power is completely shattered, all these things will be finished, right? So their power will be completely shattered, lining up perfectly. And during this time, just a couple other verses I find fascinating. Um, at, at this time, Daniel's told, shut up the world's uh, words and seal the book until the time of the end. So Daniel 12 says, this is talking about the time of the end. 
It says many will run to and fro and knowledge will increase. At the time of the end, during the tribulation, people are going to be running around looking for knowledge. They're going to be reading Daniel. They're going to be reading Revelation. They're going to be trying to figure out what's going on in the world. But unfortunately, they're not going to be looking for the true Christ. They're just going to be reading the book as a way to get out of whatever trouble they're in at that moment. And so that's, it's really sad, but that's how it reads out. So Daniel 12 goes on to say, uh, he says, go, you know, he gets this vision. Uh, The angel says, go your way, Daniel. The words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many will be purified. They'll be made white. And we now know in the New Testament, we're made white by the blood of the lamb, but also refined, tested in the fires of tribulation. But the wicked, he says, will do wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand, but the wise will understand. Those who are wise take heed. They fear God. They tremble before his word. They, they take him at his word. They trust his word. And so at the time of the end, they'll kind of understand what's going on. But for the wicked, they'll pay more attention to false religions, false Christ, false messiahs that pop up and, and various things. And so these are the verses in both the Old and New Testament that really show us who the dragon is. I've got a couple more. I'm just going to finish up with the dragon. Isaiah is another Old Testament book about 700 years before Jesus is born. Uh, In Isaiah's chapter 24 to 27, you have what's known as the apocalypse or the revelation according to Isaiah. You have a full picture. I want to do a video just on this. In those three chapters, you have so many elements of the coming tribulation all in Isaiah. And so revelation really just brings to full light what all the old prophets are already saying. I mean, there's so many elements in Isaiah that are talking about uh, the day of the Lord and this final tribulation. But towards the end of it, you hear about this dragon. And I, I, I love these verses. They're kind of mysterious, but I find them fascinating. So it's talking about this indignation and it starts in Isaiah 26. Come, my people, enter your chambers, shut your doors behind you, right? Be protected, hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment, probably three and a half years, <laughs> until the indignation, the fury is past. For behold, these are terrifying words, the Lord comes out of his place, out of heaven, to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will disclose her blood. Every person murdered, every aborted child, everything will be opened up, everything will be disclosed, and will not cover her slain. Goes on to say, in that day, we're just finishing up with the serpent, the Lord with his severe sword, his sword of judgment, the word of God, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he'll slay the reptile that's in the sea. And I believe this is kind of figurative language, like, you know, the serpent is always speaking about the devil. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, the first time the devil's introduced, it says the serpent is more cunning than any beast of the field. And he says to the woman, has God indeed said? This is how the devil deceived us and corrupted us. Now we chose it. We're, we're guilty of this sin. However, he used these words. And in all false religions, you see these words today. Has God indeed said? Every false religion is basically just trying to take the sharp truths of the Bible and round them out or lie against it or change it. And basically every false religion is a way of saying, has God indeed said, or every false you know, lie from the devil. It's, did God really say that? Whereas if you pay attention to his word, you're going to say, oh, wow, he did really say it. And so that's why the devil twists scripture, because there's something in our souls where we know scripture's right. So if he can twist that, he uses that, you know, in, in when, when uh, Jesus was being tempted by the devil, 
the devil used scripture against him, but Jesus responded with the true understanding of the scripture. And so you see the serpent, the devil, the dragon, Satan, they're all one. They're all the devil. And so just to finish up, because I, I love bringing it all back to Jesus, back to Revelation 12, after you know the, the, the dragon is cast out, there's a loud voice in heaven and it says salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, of his Messiah, of Jesus have come for, this is key, the accuser of our brethren. Satan is the accuser of the brethren who accuse them before our God day and night has been cast down. And it says they overcame him. This is so beautiful. Here's the gospel. Every one of my videos, you got to get the gospel in it. This is how you overcome the devil. If you want to be born again, if you want to be in Christ, if you want to overcome the world, this is how to do it by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, right? I've really been transformed. It's not me. It's not my righteousness. God had mercy on me. God died for me, right? They did not love their lives to the death because they'd been granted eternal life. So their temporary life just didn't matter to them. And that's, that's what we should all strive for. But overcoming the accuser by the blood of the lamb, this is a very practical day-to-day -day application. Very straightforward, okay? Uh, we are supposed to examine ourselves and test ourselves constantly. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want to live in sin. And, and if you know, we examine ourselves and we're in sin, we need to, to repent and turn from that. Um, however, Satan's the accuser of the brethren. And I feel like many times he puts thoughts, even in my head, where it's like, oh, you did this sin. How could you be saved? You're not saved. And for a while, you'll fight that and you'll, you'll just fight like, oh, I can't sin anymore. I can't, I can't do this. And, and you don't want to sin. I don't want to sin. However, the way to overcome is by the blood of the lamb. It's, wow, I did sin. What was I thinking? But Christ died for me. He, he died for me. He died for sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. And it's by knowing that Christ died for me that makes me love him. And by loving him, I don't want to sin against him. And that's how I get sanctified. But that has nothing to do with my salvation. He redeemed me. He paid the debt for my sin. So you overcome those accusations by the blood of the lamb. One final thing, it says, the devil's come down to you. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. The devil is thrown down to the earth. That's why it's so evil manifested the last like seven years, you know, of, the, of world history. Um, having great wrath because this is key. He knows his time is short. He knows he has a short time. And so I wanted to ask this question. How does the devil know he has a short time? And this is a really good discernment question. It's because the devil's very orthodox. He takes the word of God literally. He knows it's true. Even the demons believe in Jesus. They tremble before Jesus probably more than even I do because I'm still fleshly. Like it's, they get it. He knows when the devil's cast down, he knows. He's like, all right, I've got three and a half years. He's going to know it because he's orthodox. This is why false religions, false teachers, they try and take advantage of children and teach children in the school systems and colleges because they're orthodox. The Bible says, train up a child in the way you should go, right? So they know. Uh, it's, that's how the devil works. He takes scripture, twists it and perverts it for his own, you know, his own benefit, but he knows that it's the truth, right? And that's the problem. So that is the dragon, very clearly the devil, the accuser of the brethren, um, Satan. Now we're going to move on to the beast, but we're going to go through the beast very quickly because I think it's very straightforward. I've made other videos about this. I'm going to point you to these other videos. The beast is very clearly just a title of the Antichrist, but it's typically associating with the Antichrist's kingdom, his government, his military, his organization. Okay. But I want to go through some videos really quick. I, I recommend you watch these on your own time. I made one, Understanding the Statue of Daniel 2. It talks about, you know, the final, the, the governments and the final government, the final kingdom. 
and understanding the four beasts of Daniel, okay, and lining those up with Revelation 13, the final beast, the final kingdom that will rule the world. You can learn a lot about the characteristics of that kingdom. Um, and I even have a playlist. One of my playlists that I follow are global government movements. If you take the Bible literally, you're going to come to the conclusion that there is going to be some semblance of a world government at the time of the end. Now, the Bible says it'll be partly strong and partly fragile. It might not look perfect, but there is going to be a final global government, and it's going to have the Antichrist as sort of its president or king, right? It's going to be a dictatorship, but maybe like a false democracy, right? Um, in Daniel 7, and I always line this up with Revelation 13, these are written about 600 years apart. Uh, Daniel gets this vision of these beasts and he asks and, and the angel responds and you know says very clearly, uh, there's four beasts that are four kingdoms, right? I'm not going to go through them all because you can watch that video. But literally in the book of Daniel, it plays out all of world history. I mean, I'll go back, but it talks about the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian, the Greece Empire, and then the final kingdom, Rome and possibly a revived Rome, depending on your opinion on it. We don't need to be dogmatic about it. But very clearly, the fourth beast is a fourth kingdom in Daniel 7. There will be a final world kingdom and it will appear on the earth it will be different from all the other kingdoms. That just makes sense. It will devour the whole earth. Here's why that makes sense. The, the last large kingdom was Rome. That was like 2000 years ago. With technology now, it's reasonable with how crazy technology is and, and our military capabilities that yes, if anyone took over the world, the kingdom is gonna look vastly different than Greece or Rome or Babylon. I mean, it would just look, I mean, look at this city right here. It would just look crazy, right? And this kingdom, this beast, will trample the whole earth and crush it. It will be like as if Hitler took over, right? Uh, Daniel, uh, Revelation 13 says, Then the beast, okay, it's this fourth beast, is permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. And it's given authority over every tribe, people, and tongue, and nation. So a brutal dictator, a brutal king, the Antichrist, and his kingdom will trample the whole earth. And this is not that complex. I recommend you watch the other videos, but I wanted to explain it. Like all the terminology, literally the exact words, talking about the sea and all these things I'm going to explain in a second, are in both Daniel and Revelation. So not only does everything line up, but like the words line up. It's such a beautiful puzzle. In Daniel chapter 7, part of his vision, right, talking about the time of the end, was in 530 years before Christ is even born, Daniel says, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven, right? All the winds of heaven are stirring up the great sea. Okay, remember that word sea and four great beasts come up from the sea. Now, this is very high level. I recommend you watch the other video, but the beasts are very straightforward. They look like a lion. It was Babylon, a bear, Medo-Persia, a leopard. It was Greece and they were world kingdoms. It was literally revealed to Daniel that they were kingdoms and kings, right? That, that had authority. And then there's a fourth beast after all these. That's mysterious, terrible, dreadful. It's a strong beast. Well, then you fast forward 600 years. Greece has come. Rome has come, right? And Rome is there. And, and, and it says, the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. The devil, we know who the dragon is now. This is a vision. He stands on the, uh, on the, the sand of the seashore right after Revelation 12 when he's cast to earth. He stands on this. You see the four beasts come out of the great sea. The devil's on the seashore, very straight, like same language. And then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. And you go down in Revelation 13, the beast that I saw, the fourth one, was like a lion, like a bear, like a leopard, not quite in that order, 
But you see, it's, it's this final beast is a world kingdom. It's going to have Greece in it, Babylon in it, Medo-Persia, you know, Iran, all these things amalgamated into it, okay? And this beast is granted to war and overcome the saints, and all who dwell on the earth worship it. It's terrible, mysterious, dreadful. And, and what I, you know, most people believe it'll be sort of a revived European Union with America. That's the most orthodox uh, belief. But it's a global kingdom, so it's going to stretch out everywhere. And time will only tell. We can't be dogmatic about it. But when you hear, you know, the name beast, it's talking about these kingdoms and this final brutal kingdom. But you have to remember, it's also talking about the king. For example, Revelation 19, 19 says, I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies. Okay. So here the beast is an individual. It's the antichrist, but with him, once again, is his government, his, the kings of the earth, their armies. This is that Armageddon. They gather again, you know, in the plain of Megiddo, they come against Israel in the last days and they make war against him who sat on the horse. That's Jesus Christ and his army. So here it's very clearly talking about an individual but it's associated with his government, his armies. You know, this is the very end that he brings his nation against, you know, to fight Jesus, essentially. Um, and then it says, then the beast is captured. And so the Antichrist is captured and with him, the false prophet, who we'll talk more about later. So very clearly here, uh, you know, it talks about them being captured after the Battle of Armageddon as individuals, you know, not the whole government, even though all the armies will be destroyed. Um, and so the false prophet works signs in the presence of everyone, deceives everyone to worship the Antichrist, just like I said, and get the mark of the beast and worship the image. And then it says, this is very telling, these two, these two, the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So, uh, you know, remember, the Antichrist has a lot of similarities to Jesus in a very, you know, perverted way, right? So Jesus has many names. In the Old Testament, it was Emmanuel, great high priest, the coming prophet, the Messiah, the suffering servant, right? The Antichrist has many names. He's the beast. He's the man of sin. He's the son of destruction, right? He's uh, the little horn of Daniel. He has all these names and they're all blasphemous uh, names. So I know this is a little complex as you read it, and you feel like, oh, it's flipping from talking about this world kingdom, but now it's talking about the king. I know it's a little bit frustrating. However, let me explain to you. I, I believe that this is, Jesus tells us why he speaks in parables. He spoke in stories, and, and they're almost a little bit mysterious, okay? In fact, it's in Psalms, it says he'll utter, you know, unforetold, like mysteries kept secret from the foundation of the universe. It's part of why I love studying the Bible. I get to peer into the very mysteries of God and beg him to reveal them to me, right? But I find this stuff fascinating. So parables are parables. They're stories Jesus told. But I believe, you know, this is not an interpretation, just an application. The whole Bible is kind of like a parable. If you don't study it, everything's confusing. But if you just diligently study it, you ask the Lord to reveal it to you, I believe it starts to make sense, at least on a 30,000 foot view for everyone who tries. And so this is why Jesus spoke in parables. The disciples come to him. Why do you speak to them? And he tells them, he says, it's been given to you. It's a gift to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. So for a non-believer, okay, if they're exposed to more divine light and they don't come, they're actually more guilty on judgment day. So it's an act of mercy. They're not going to come towards me, so I'm hiding it. I'm keeping it mysterious. In the Old Testament, it talks about God finally revealing himself. And uh, the people will say, truly, you are a God who hides yourself. He's, a, he's mysterious in a way. 
And when you're born again, when you come to Christ, that's God revealing himself to you, who he really is, right? Holy, just, but also a, a merciful savior that died for you, sent his son to die for you. And so that's why I believe God uses all these different terms. I think for everyone else, it's supposed to be a bit mysterious. And I know at the time of the end, many people are going to be running around all these false Christs and false messiahs like Jesus warned about. People are going to be very confused, but the saints are going to get it because the Holy Spirit's going to just interpret it for them. Remember, the Holy Spirit teaches you. The Bible is the only book in the world that God is teaching it to you. So just make sure your, your heart and your mind are open to receive it, right? And so once just to recap, we're going to move on now. The dragon, the devil. Okay, the beast is the Antichrist, but typically talking about his government, his organization. Now we're going to move on to the Antichrist. Now, just to be clear, there's two very long videos I've made, and uh, they've done pretty well. One is the Antichrist explained. This is virtually every verse in the Bible. There's tons in the Old Testament you're not thinking about. Um, I probably missed a few, but it's, you know, it's, it's full. Every verse in the Bible about the Antichrist explained. So it's an hour and a half because I just found everyone I could, and people have enjoyed that. Um, the other one is a man named Yuval Noah Harari. He's a historian, a PhD, a philosopher. He claims to be an atheist, um, but the Bible says there are many antichrists, little a, many false Christs, many people against Christ. He's right, He wrote a book I'm reading right now. He's basically developing a new religion that says mankind, we're going to upgrade ourselves to be like God. And in his book, it's like an anti-Bible commentary. He'll bring up some Bible verses and then he'll twist it with the weirdest philosophy. It's the strangest book I've ever read. But this guy is so renowned on a world stage. He's Jewish. He's from Israel. He's a perfect example of how the Antichrist will behave. I'm not claiming he's the one or making any sort of predictions. I, I don't like to go outside of scripture. But watch this video. It's done very well organically. And uh, some churches have gotten a hold of it. And, and I, I think that'll be a blessing to you to understand the Antichrist more. But I'm going to go through it on a 30,000 foot view for this video. So the Antichrist, Antichristos is what the word means. It's one who puts himself in the place of, the Antichrist will do that, or the enemy opponent of the Messiah, right? So it's a, a violent transgressing rebellion, or someone's like, hey, look, I'm Jesus, right? And so that's what the Antichrist will be. And I want to start in the Old Testament. You go back to Daniel 7. Much of eschatology is just Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. Um, and Daniel's having this vision. There's this fourth beast, this fourth kingdom, dreadful and terrible. It's huge iron teeth. It's breaking in pieces, trampling the resume. It's just devouring the world. And he says it's different from all the beasts, and it has 10 horns. And uh, we're not going into this, but very clearly, this is 10 rulers. The final world government will have 10 rulers, the Antichrist will come up among them and destroy three rulers and probably their nations, but it will start out with 10 rulers. Uh, Daniel 7, 8 says, I was considering the horns. I'm looking at them. I'm looking at these kings, these rulers, and there's another horn, a little one. He comes up among them and three of them are plucked out by the roots, right? And in this horn were eyes, intelligence, knowledge, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. These are blasphemies. So this is a leader of this kingdom that destroys three other kingdoms, and he speaks pompous words. He speaks blasphemies. Daniel 7.11 goes on to say, I watched because of the sound of these pompous words which the horn was speaking. And then it says, I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Revelation makes this very clear. The Antichrist, the beast, the little horn, they end up in the lake of fire. I brought up that verse before. So Revelation and Daniel, perfect puzzle. They match up literally perfectly. That's why 
people that throw out all of Revelation and say, oh, it's not literally going to happen. It's the strangest thing to me because it's like, God's not trying to trick us. <laughs> this stuff's meant to be understood. He could have used different language, but it, it all lines up perfectly. So a little more characteristic of this Antichrist. He speaks pompous words against the Most High. That's God. He persecutes the saints of the Most High. And he, this is key. He intends to change times and law. This is why I find it very interesting right now. I'm not saying this is the end, but I do find it interesting that there's a spirit of social justice and a spirit of changing the law for the first time in human history, right? That homosexuality is, they're actually making laws to protect that uh, and protect in Canada and other nations. You can't even, you know, tell them you need to repent and you need to believe on Jesus, right? So this Antichrist is going to change the law, change the customs. There's Right now, very rapidly in America, there seems to be a new morality, and, and it, it seems pretty clear. But that doesn't mean this is the time of the end. This could go on for 400 years, getting worse and worse and worse. And the saints are given into his hand for a time, one, times, two, and half a time. There it is, three and a half years, right? 1260 days, 42 months. Perfect lining up. You fast forward 600 years to Revelation 13, you see it exactly. It says he's given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, the pompous words of Daniel 7. This is the beast. This is the Antichrist. He's given authority to continue for 42 months. He not only claims to be God, he's going to say the most perverted, unknown blasphemies, just twisting and contorting the word of God. It actually breaks my heart. I believe many people in the church will fall away. Jesus says many will fall away. Um, and, and I believe that means they were never true believers, but it, it just breaks my heart still that they're just going to be captivated by this man and twisted and corrupted. He opens his mouth in blasphemy against God and he blasphemes his name, his tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. It's granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. God in his sovereignty, he allows this for a season of time. Okay, three and a half years. And authority is given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So this is a world leader with a world leadership, a kingdom, a government, very straightforward. And so a couple more verses, I think 2 Thessalonians 2 like if you want to understand the Antichrist, like what he wants, like how he is, his nature, 2 Thessalonians 2 shows it. And 2 Thessalonians 2 brings you to why people were like, I love the why. Why do people worship the Antichrist? And that always brings you to because they reject Christ. It's all about Christ, right? Even when we're studying the Antichrist, you got to bring it back to Christ. And 2 Thessalonians 2 does it perfectly. Paul's talking to the Thessalonians, and he's talking about the day of the Lord, the coming judgment on the world. He says, let no one deceive you by any means. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first. This is the rebellion. It talks about a great apostasy. Many people believe we're kind of seeing it in the West right now. This is not paganism or false religion. This is people that claim Christ, profess him, do not possess him. And it's a it's an event, right? Throughout seasons of world history, there will be fallings away, but this is a serious falling away. I believe there will be a global persecution on anyone who claims Christ. And, and pro, you know, at that time, I mean, people are going to fall away fast. And so the man of sin, it says, is revealed. And that's just another name for the Antichrist. He's the man of sin, right? He calls him the son of perdition, the son of destruction, right? I mean, you know, Jesus Christ is the son of man. He's also the son of God. This is the man of sin. He's also the son of perdition, right? It's, you see this mirror, right? Good and evil. It says he opposes. This is what the Antichrist does. He opposes and exalts himself. And I believe because he's the man of sin, that's why he's changing the law. So people, he will lead the world into worse sin. He comes as a judgment. 
He's a man of sin. He's the son of perdition. And he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Many people want to spiritualize this verse. I believe the temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt. There are plans to rebuild it right now. Uh, if it's a thousand years from now, that's when it'll happen. I don't know, but I think the Bible is very clear. You get to Revelation 11, you see there's two witnesses. They're in Jerusalem. There's a measuring of the temple. I, I believe that the in 1948, Israel got their nation back. In 1967, they conquered Jerusalem, and now they're trying to build their temple mount. But it is a you know a violent political situation there, so I don't see it you know right now. But yes, I believe it will be rebuilt. Uh, probably during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. I believe at the three and a half year mark, the Antichrist will uh, go from sort of pretending to, to claiming, you know, I am God in the temple. And, and uh, I think at that point, there'll be a falling away. People will be forced to, to worship him, you know, and most people will do it so that they're not killed or starved or, or you have it, right? So this is what the Bible says is coming. Scary stuff goes on to say the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now will uh, restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. I believe the Holy Spirit is uh, holding back the evilness of mankind. And at a certain point, the restrainer, the patience of God will wear out and he will give us over to our own sins. We'll be, be able to manifest that hatred of God, manifest that evil. And says, then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So here's another name for it. The lawless one. In the Old Testament, Jesus, I mean, you know, Yahweh was called the Holy One of God. You know, the Holy One, the Righteous One. The Antichrist, another name, is the lawless one. And he'll be revealed, and the Lord will obviously destroy him at the second coming of Christ. But... Why do people worship him? Is it just because they don't want to be persecuted? Do they really believe he's God? I love the why. This is huge. This is where you get into the gospel. Okay, it says the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Remember, Revelation 12, Satan. Revelation 13, the Antichrist, right? Satan empowers the Antichrist with all power signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. This is what's kind of terrifying right now. People follow antichrists and people follow false teachers and people follow false religions and they don't have any kind of supernatural power. People just follow them because they're deceived. And, and there's a lot of false religion in the world. My, my channel breaks down a lot of that. Can you imagine when, when false people and liars all of a sudden have powers and signs and lying wonders? I mean, people are going to flock to them. It's heartbreaking. With all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Because, and this is this is so key to understand this. I have pity for anybody because I'm a miserable sinner myself. I can have pity on people that even reject Christ until the day they die. I, I pity them. I want them to believe in Christ. And yet at this and, and I can love them and beg them to and pray for them. However, I don't look at them as victims. I pity them, but they're not the victim of the devil. You go all the way back to the garden. Adam blamed the devil. It didn't work. Eve blamed Adam. Didn't work. Adam blamed the devil. Didn't work. We are all responsible for our behavior, even when we're deceived. Because the truth is we're deceived because we want to be deceived. Okay? And this is why everyone gets deceived. It says, they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. If you just love the truth, you'll end up at Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you love truth, you'll realize the word of God is like the only source of truth on this planet. You will end up saying, I need this God. You'll realize you need a Messiah. You'll realize you need a sacrifice. You'll realize Jesus Christ is God and you will be saved. 
But if you do not receive the love of the truth, if you suppress it, and that's what sin does, we go after our sin instead of going after the truth. For this reason, these are some of the most terrifying words in the Bible. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion, a delusion. They'll be given over to a depraved mind that they should believe the lie. The very same lie from the garden that God didn't say, the very same lie from the garden that we would be like God. And so they will worship a man, the Antichrist, claiming to be God who is not because they reject the true God man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, fully man and fully God. Fearful words, because this is a time where God's patience will run out and God sends them a strong delusion and they begin, they, they're given over to their depraved mind. Um, I've talked to many people in cults, uh, the Hebrew Roots movement, uh, different, I, I talked to a lot of pantheists downtown in Nashville. They believe they are God. They're given over to this delusion. They believe all these strange things. You can't even talk to them. There's just no reasoning with them. Um, it's very sad and I pray for them, but that's how I believe people will be behaving as the world gets worse and worse and worse. And this is done that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness because they love their sin. They won't give it up. They choose the Antichrist because they want the lawlessness. So God uses the Antichrist. That's the story of the Bible. God is not thwarted. God is sitting on the throne. It's a foundation. It's a rock. This is his plan. Now, there's a mystery to this. We are all responsible for choosing Christ and loving Christ, obeying Christ. There's a mystery to this, though. God ordains. God is sovereign over all of this. And if, he, if our patience, or I'm sorry, the Lord's patience runs out, he sends this strong delusion. And so when this Antichrist comes, he comes as a judgment. Because people reject Christ, they get this guy, and he leads them into worse sin, worse idolatry, and ultimately to the destruction of, you know, the human race almost, right? And this is nothing new for God. I want to bring up these verses. In the Old Testament, totally separate situation. This is nothing new. Uh, Isaiah chapter 10, totally different situation. God uses a wicked ruler, and then that wicked ruler, the Antichrist, this wicked ruler, they're still responsible. Everyone's responsible. God is the judge. And yet, even though we do things for evil, God in his mysterious wisdom can turn it around for his purposes and for good. I'm not saying there's not a mystery there. There's a paradox there, but there is not an oxymoron there. That's not an oxymoron. It's just a paradox. But check out this. This is nothing new for God. Isaiah chapter 10. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. Let me explain this. God uses the ungodly nation, Assyria, to punish his people who had turned away from him. And then he turns around and punishes Assyria. I mean, it's incredible. And he uses Assyria to judge other nations too. Just like the Antichrist will go through judging the world, judging other nations. But behind that, God is allowing it. And then he judges the Antichrist. Woe to Assyria. It's the rod of my, God's anger. The staff in whose hand is my indignation. God's anger is in the rod of Assyria, an ungodly nation says, I'll send him against an ungodly nation. That's his own people, the people of my wrath. I'll give him charge to seize the spoil, take their riches, take the prey, destroy, kill, to tread them down like the mire of the streets. And then look at this, but he does not mean so, nor does his heart think so, but it's in his heart to destroy and cut off not a few nations. There's a mystery here, but God is sovereign over everything. This Assyrian king, in his heart, in his wicked heart, he wants to destroy and he wants to, you know, conquer Judah and Israel and he wants to conquer other nations that have nothing to do with Yahweh. And yet God is using him because these nations are ungodly and he uses them to judge him. 
And he, but then it says it's in his heart. He doesn't even mean it. He doesn't even understand that God's using him. And then God turns around and judges the king of Assyria, just like the Antichrist. The Antichrist will claim to be God. Deep down, he'll probably know he's not. He'll, he'll just be totally deceived himself. You know, he'll be in total rebellion. Um, maybe he'll have a, an inkling of hope that he really can defeat God. I don't know the deep things, how it will work, but he will, he will not know that he's literally fulfilling the, the plan. And then he will be judged in the end and everyone will be righteously judged. And so there's mysteries to these, but this is how the word reads. So I want to finish the study of the Antichrist with some press. So that's the Antichrist, world ruler, evil, claims to be God, bad dude. Okay. Um, I want to finish though with some practical application, talking about false religions, false teachers, uh, and once again, bringing it back to Christ. Okay. In 1 John chapter 2, he talks about Antichrists, little a, right? People that are against Christ. Okay. And he writes to his flock, he says, little children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, that is the final Antichrist, even now many Antichrists, plural, have come. False teachers, false prophets, people against Christ, people that are claiming to be Christ. I'm going to show you a few of them in a minute. And it's, it's more clear. And, and that's my goal with this channel. I want you to be discerning. It's actually happening all around you all the time, uh, by which we know that it's the last hour. 1 John 2, 19 says, they went out from us, these antichrists, but they were not of us. That's so key. They never lost their salvation. They never had it. They associated themselves with the church or religious groups. Then they go out and they do their own thing and they form a cult because they were never of it. They were never truly born again. They never came to faith in Christ. They never submitted to his lordship. They just didn't do it. So they went out from us, but they were not of us. I do not believe you can lose genuine salvation. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. So that's one characteristics of little a antichrists or false teachers. First John chapter 4, I'm going to go through this kind of quickly and then show you some real world application. First John chapter 4 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. This is saying that not Jesus Christ of Nazareth was a, was a human. Everybody believes that. Mormons believe that. Islam believes that. Everybody believes that. He's the most historically confirmed person on planet Earth uh, for 2,000 years ago. That's not the case. He came in the flesh, meaning he always existed as the eternal son of God. 2,000 years ago, he came in the flesh, the full humanity and the full deity of Christ, is the true spirit, okay? Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming, and is now already in the world. The spirit of the Antichrist was already in the world. It's still in the world today. He goes on to say, you are of God, little children, have overcome them, because he who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, okay? And so he finishes with, they're of the world. This is false religion, false Christ, false teachers. Therefore, they speak as of the world. This is one very applicable characteristic of false religions. They're always speaking in a worldly way. Even people claiming to be Christian, but it's just prosperity gospel. They're always talking about your money, your finances. They're not really meditating on eternal things or the glory of God or Christ. 
they, they just speak as of the world and the world hears them, right? You just want hope for today and hope for your job and hope that you're going to get through COVID, not the eternal hope that like, even if I die in a car accident tomorrow or my legs get chopped off, like I'm really okay for eternity, right? They, they, they speak as of the world, the world hears them. He then goes on to contrast that those with the Holy Spirit, we're of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I'm all about unity, but it's unity in the true Holy Spirit. If, if you don't have truth, you don't have unity, right? And so the Holy Spirit is separate. God wants separation of his church from the world and then unity around that truth, right? And that's how it works. It's not just unity with everybody's like idea about the Bible or about God, okay? So here are some religious movements that have false Christs. And, and I want to call out why it's so clear. And I do think they need to be named by name. I bring up pictures of massive buildings to show you that false religion attracts a lot of money. And it's because people have a conscience and we want to be told we're going to heaven, even though we sin or live whatever life we want. And we will pay people, a lot of people to craft a doctrine that tells us that. And that's how false religion works. On the left, you have the Mormon main church, the, the G Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They reject Jesus as fully God and fully man, right? They reject that. They also reject that he, him and the Father are one. They, they believe in millions of gods, believe it or not. They believe the Father used to be a, a human too. It's just all sorts of weird things. But here's the spirit of Antichrist that sits in the temple and proclaims he's God. They also believe we all can become gods. It's absolute, you know, a delusion. It's a delusion. And their pastors, they even call themselves priests. And I'm going to go over why that's wrong in a second. Also, the Catholic Church. I talk about the Catholic Church a good amount. The Pope calls himself the Vicar of Christ. That is the spokesperson for Christ on earth. If you do any sort of research, you'll realize the entire priestly ordination of the popes is a complete fallacy. There's no truth behind it. It's silly. Many of the people in the line of popes they claim go all the way back to the time of Jesus were proven pedophiles. I mean, it's really dark stuff. False religion brings out the worst in us. So the Pope is the vicar of Christ, the head priest, and every priest, this is from Vatican II in the decree of the ministry and life of priests. Every priest is in persona Christi because he acts as Christ and as God. That's the Vatican Council II document they have today. You got to understand how blasphemous that is. Jesus warned at the time of the end, there'll be many false Christs, many false messiahs, many false prophets. If you study the Bible, you should reject anyone who calls themselves a priest or requires the title father. They call the Pope Holy Father, even though the scripture says, do not call anyone father or claims any divine authority outside of scripture. And I highlighted outside, a pastor is gifted by God, a student of the word. He's able to teach. I'm not a pastor. I like teaching the word of God. I like preaching the gospel, but a pastor has authority. Okay. It's not an infallible authority. He can't go outside of scripture. If a pastor starts saying things that are crazy, he's lost all that authority. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, not some Pope or not some priest. If you really study the priestly doctrines of the Vatican, they believe their priests become little Christs. That's why they say, I baptize you. That's why they say, I do this, I do that. They're false. They're, every single true believer, we are being transformed to be like God, to be the sons of God. We're, we're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I understand that. 
but they twist and pervert that scripture. This is what they do. They say they're above you in the hierarchy of God. No one is above you. There is God. There is one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. Then there is everybody else. Now, people have different levels of sanctification. Some people love the word more. Some people have a gift of knowledge. Other have a gift of love. Other have a gift of the word. Other have a gift of preaching or teaching. But that doesn't mean one is in a, a higher position than the other. Now, one might be capable of teaching the words of God and, and their authority comes from that they know what the Bible really says and they can speak you know, with boldness and the authority of the Holy Spirit. But it's not like this infallibility. It's not this hierarchy. It's not this priesthood. They're, they're corrupting the words of God. What it is, is every truly born again believer is acting like a little priest in that you're going to non-believers and telling them the gospel. What does a priest do? He sacrifices for the people. Jesus is the great high priest. But what do we do as followers of Christ? We point people towards the sacrifice, right? We, we act like that. And in heaven, we might fulfill that role in, in some way that's a, a mystery. But for example, because I have a, a gift of teaching and because I love scripture, that doesn't set me up as any sort of authority. No, the Bible, the word of God is the authority. What the priests do is they turn you away from the word of God. They turn you to religious tradition. They turn you to Catholic dogma. They turn you to any tradition but the simple words of God. And they always point away from Jesus. They'll use Jesus. They'll talk about Jesus. Some of them will admit his divinity. But if you're admitting his divinity and then saying you're the infallible spokesperson, there's some Catholic dogma that even say the priests become Christ's. I mean, that's the spirit of Antichrist. It's so clear. The Book of Mormon says that you can become gods. That's We cannot become gods. For all eternity, I, I get to grow and, and be like God. I, I'm his son, but I will never be God. I am not eternal. I'm not the creator. I am the creation. And so just very clear, the spirit of Antichrist and the Antichrist is going outside the order and setting man above God. So that was kind of long-winded, but I wanted you to see that. So just to recap before we finish up, the dragon is the devil. The beast is a name for the Antichrist, also typically associated with his government. The Antichrist is the individual, the man of sin, the son of perdition. He will be worshipped as God. He will claim to be Jesus. He'll claim to be all these things. He will twist and pervert scripture. The world will worship him. Finally, we get to the false prophet the false prophet. And so the false prophet is very straightforward. He's like the spokesperson for the Antichrist. He's the religious leader, whereas the Antichrist is the political world kingdom leader. The Antichrist will claim to be God, and the false prophet will be like the false Holy Spirit, pointing the world religions and people in the direction of the Antichrist. And so I made a video. <clears throat> uh, it's called the ministry of the false prophet. Most people don't know the false prophet, this second beast we're going to talk about from Revelation 13. He's actually the one that gets the world to take the mark of the beast. Most people don't know that, but the false prophet's the one that induces and influences the world to do that. Um, I also have a whole playlist uh, called global religious movements. Just like global government, if you follow the Bible, if you take it literally, you realize that all the world religious movements are always against the truth of Scripture, always against the true God of Scripture, our Lord Jesus Christ. And at the time of the end, Revelation 17 and Revelation 18, I made a video about Mystery Babylon, uh, talks about a final global religious movement, right? And and it describes this, this harlot that rides the beast, this sort of 
false system that's very rich, very violent towards true saints, uh, and riding the government system, riding the Antichrist system, aligned with the Antichrist system, and yet still separate and distinct from it. And so, you know, if you follow it, literally, there will be a global government and there will be a global religion at the time of the end. And so I have a whole playlist about that and I break down other religions and <clears throat> you can kind of see this tracking until one day our Lord will come uh, whenever that will be. But that being said, this false prophet is introduced to us first in Revelation chapter 13. And, and it's right after you see the first beast, the Antichrist, then you see another beast coming out of the earth. He has two horns like a lamb and he speaks like a dragon. Very straightforward. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. I'm going to bring up that verse in a second. But Jesus says, beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Okay. Two horns like a lamb. He speaks gently. He speaks loving, uh, but he actually speaks like a dragon. There's war in his heart. In Psalms or Proverbs, it says his speech was smooth as butter, but war was in his heart. And so he's a liar. He's a deceiver. He says things, but he doesn't follow through. Deep down, he has another motive. And we know the dragon is the devil. So the Antichrist is inspired by the devil. The devil is the devil. And the false prophet speaks like the devil. They are all aligned in unity. And so <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They've got the two horns like a lamb. They're gentle. Uh, they claim that at least, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. And then he says, and this is key, you will know them by their fruits. He doesn't say you might know them by their fruits. This is very uh, practical for day to day when you're looking at, you know, false teachers, false prophets. He claims you will know them, meaning they will produce fruit and you will know that they are false teachers. He doesn't say you might know or you could know. Now, you always have to be careful when practicing discernment. We can't be like, I teach things that are wrong sometimes. I make mistakes and I pray for forgiveness and I correct it and I'm not infallible. A false teacher or a false prophet is something totally different. That's like when you bring evolution into a church, false ideologies into a church, things outside of scripture, not like you make a mistake in scripture, things outside of scripture, you typically are bringing it in or some sort of false dogma, um, or you twist scripture to the point that it's just obvious. And it is a discernment. It is a gray area. But Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruits. He doesn't say you might. And so Revelation 13, talking about this final false prophet, just like the Antichrist, there's many little Antichrists and there's a final horrible one, right? The false prophet, there's many false prophets, there's many false teachers, there's a final false prophet above them all, right? <clears throat> and in the end, they're going to be in cahoots together. It says he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. He has all authority with him. He's like a co-partner. He causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. So he causes everyone to worship the first beast. Now, a lot of people, myself included, believe the false prophet will be a pope. I tend to believe that. Uh, the pope claims to be the vicar of Christ. I don't think the pope will be the antichrist. I think the pope will be the false prophet, if I had to guess. But once again, I'm not infallible. But two billion followers, he is not, not the current pope. I'm saying a pope one day will be the false prophet. I'm not a date setter. Um, but you look at the last 2000 years, last 1700 years since, you know, Vatican came about and, and, you know, false, you know, Catholicism was always false from its very beginning in, in 300. Um, and it's always sought to usurp the authority from Christ and give it to the Pope. It's just a false Messiah. And so 
I do. I think when the Antichrist comes, the Pope will be the just like he is right now, the world's leading religious figure, and he'll point people in his direction. Um, but that being said, whoever he is, at the end, he causes those who dwell on the earth to worship the first beast. Uh, ignore the deadly wound. That's explained in my Antichrist video. We don't have time to go over it. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He's going to have miraculous powers. It says he deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs, okay, which he's granted to do in the sight of the beast. And he tells those on the earth to make an image to the beast uh, who was wounded by the sword and lived. Once again, ignore that. So there's going to be an image to the beast. Jesus called this the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24. This the Antichrist is going to go into the temple. He's going to be worshipped as God. He's going to desolate the temple, bring about the, the you know the worst three and a half year period in human history. And when he's not there, there's going to be an image of him there. <clears throat> and I also imagine, probably holographically, but this image will be all throughout the world, or maybe not holographically. I don't know. That's just a guess. Um, but it goes on to say he's granted power to give breath. That means life to the image of the beast. So the false prophet takes the image of the beast and gives it life. And, and for all we know, it's technological. It's like a huge statue. I've done a video on it that can talk. And the false prophet's just breathing out his lies into it, right? It even says this image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship it, the image of the beast, to be killed. It almost sounds like the statue itself is going to kill you. The image is going to kill you. And then it says, so he makes the image and he also causes all, both the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. I, I recommend you watch the ministry of, uh, you know, of the false prophet video. It explains it, but the false prophets behind the mark of the beasts and it's associated with worship. It's not just a chip or just this or just that. As crazy as these things look, and I agree they're trending in that direction, it is associated with worship. Uh, and no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, this is, you know, awesome, fascinating stuff about this false prophet. I want to go all the way back to the law. 3,500 years ago, 1,600 years before Revelation is written, Deuteronomy chapter 13 talks about false prophets and why they're allowed to have the powers for these signs. It's God that's sovereign. He allows this. He allows their, their miracles to go forth. Jesus says these false prophets will come. He warned us, okay? And it's to test us. Let me explain. Deuteronomy 13, this is very applicable for day-to-day -day church life. If you're in a big church and there's lots of false teachers, this could be why they're there and you're accountable to God, or at least you will be after I explain these verses to you. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 13, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, he gives you a sign, a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass. He predicts something and it comes to pass. He has authority because he's done something miraculous. But then he says, let's go after other gods, which you've not known. Let's serve them. <clears throat> this is what God says in Deuteronomy. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. God is allowing that to come to pass because he wants you to fear him and trust him and trust his word. He's tested. He could be, if you run into a false teacher and you allow him to continue knowing he's doing something false, could be God testing you. And you're supposed to love the Lord. It says you shall walk after the Lord your God. Fear him. If you want to be bold towards the world and, and you know, uh, you know, used by Christ... The more you're terrified of God, 
the less you'll really care about the opinions of mankind. Now, you'll love your brethren and you'll even love the world. You'll want them to get saved. But if you fear God, you, you hold him in authority first. And by the Bible says we should be zealous for the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. It's by the fear of the Lord a man departs from iniquity. We're supposed to literally be zealous and growing in the fear of the Lord. David prayed, grant me your fear. Like the fear of the Lord's a precious treasure. I'm always praying, Lord, increase my fear so that I don't fall into sin. But if you fear God... And you come across somebody who's not just doing, like, I even make mistakes on my channel. Every true teacher is fallible. Like, we're human. We're fleshly. Even Paul said, Romans 7, I don't do the things I want to do. Like, I'm human. I make mistakes. That doesn't make me a false teacher. A false teacher twists and perverts scripture to the point where it's clear, or they bring things outside, like evolution and all these things to the children of God, false ideologies, things that don't even originate with scripture. It's abundantly clear, right? Uh, You know, BLM, social justice, things that the world creates, trying to bring that into the church, that's false teaching, okay? So you should walk after Lord your God and fear him. Keep his commandments, obey his voice. You shall uh, serve him and hold fast to him. That's what you need to hear, brother Christian. You got to hold fast to Christ because these trials, these testings, God allows them. And in the end, he's going to allow them on a global scale, a dramatic scale. So two more verses about the false prophet. Revelation 16, uh, very end, they're gathering the armies of the world to Armageddon. Uh, John sees three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the devil, the beast, the Antichrist, and the mouth of the false prophet, the the second beast, the, the, the lamb, you know, two horns like a lamb speaks like a dragon. And these are spirits of demons performing signs. And they go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world and they gather them. So they're going to literally corrupt the world, deceive the world, do these signs. And if they had just looked at the word, they would have understood the whole point of the tribulation. It was a testing and they failed. They failed. It's heartbreaking, but they failed it. And if they had just paid attention, we don't pay attention to signs. We don't trust dreams. I, I see a lot of people dreaming now and going on about visions and miracles in their life. But then when it comes time to talk about scripture and Jesus, it's just, they don't want to hear it. And and so it's sad. I'm not saying you can't have a dream. I'm not the the most hardcore cessationist out there or anything like that. I, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and all these things, but we don't trust in those things. We trust in the word of God. Where that like hyper charismatic movement is leading and where all the false religions are leading, it's the same place, guys. One day, the false brethren, those who are against Christ, are going to be given over to the delusion. They're going to be given the power to do these signs and the whole world is going to be damned along with them. Okay. Revelation 19 says, then the beast, the Antichrist was captured and with him, the false prophet. I want to show you the victory and the joy of the saints. And I want to call anybody who's not a believer to Christ. So this is the end. This is the unholy Trinity. This is where they all end up, right? The the unholy, I guess there's four of them. So not really Trinity, but (laughs) then the beast, the Antichrist was captured with him, the false prophet who works signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These are going to be the two main things the false prophet does. Get you to take the mark, get you to worship the image. Both are damning, okay? These two are cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And so the dragon, the beast, the antichrist, and the false prophet, right? The antichrist and the beast are the same. They all end up in the lake of fire, even the devil. So the antichrist and the false prophet, they are the first two people in the lake of fire. They go right in there. 
The devil is cast in the Sheol, into hell, into a compartment of the earth for 1,000 years during the millennial reign of Christ. He restores the earth, but then there is one final rebellion. But after that, there's the final conquering of death and the devil. It says the devil who deceived them were cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. They've been there for a thousand years, and now the devil arrives with them. Really, just glorious, powerful, terrifying things. I mean, imagine the Antichrist and false prophet alone in the lake of fire, and then the next person there is the devil. So for a small moment in, in time, the unholy trinity, the devil, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, they will be in the lake of fire alone. But then there'll be the great white throne judgment and everyone not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world will be cast into that lake of fire. But I want you to see it. If you're not in Christ right now, I want you to understand the devil, his angels, the Antichrist, the false prophet, they're already doomed. It's already over. But the, the lake of fire was originally prepared for the devil and his fallen angels. Now, the ungodly will all be there. That's heartbreaking, but it's true. But it wasn't originally prepared for them. Now, nothing is outside God's sovereignty. Nothing's outside his plan. He knew everything from the beginning. I'm not taking away from that. I'm just saying human beings have an amazing chance to be saved. No angels can be saved, guys. God didn't send his son to become an angel and die for them. One chance, they blew it, they're done. But God sent his son here to die for us. And so I want to show you the joyous celebration. If you're not a believer, I want to show you the joyous celebration the saints will have on the day Christ comes back and does this and conquers his enemies. But then I want to call you to faith. I want to call you to the gospel with a couple key verses. Malachi 4.1, the last book uh, of the Old Testament, 400 years before you know the New Testament, says, Behold, the day is coming, the day of the Lord. This this day where the dragon and the uh, you know the the beast and the false prophet will be thrown in the lake of fire. It says this day is burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. The day which is coming will burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. I've just explained to you that day. It's the day they all get conquered and thrown in the lake of fire. It will leave them neither root nor branches. But and this is, this is it. This is the saints. To you who fear my name, be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Fear who he is. The son of righteousness, our Lord Jesus Christ, will arise with healing in his wings. Not its wings, his wings. That's Jesus Christ. And you will go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under, under the soles of your feet. It, we're going to be like stall-fed calves. We're going to be fat. We're going to be freaking out. I can't believe you saved us, Lord. Look at your glorious judgments. I can't believe you've done this. And then he says, you'll do all this on the day that I do this. Uh, the NASB kind of hits this, uh, you know, I'm not a version hawk, but the NASB says on the day that I've prepared, God is preparing this day, the day of the Lord, says the Lord of hosts, and the saints will glory in every part of it. We will glory in the mercy and the grace, knowing that we deserve the lake of fire, but we get the eternal presence of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But we will also glory in God's justice and his, and, his, and his holiness. And we actually glory in Revelation. The saints praise the judgments of God for destroying the devil and the false prophet and the beast and, and the ungodly. Okay? And so if you're not in Christ, if you haven't made that decision, if you're watching this video seething with anger right now, I want to call you to Christ right now. I'm no better than you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Christ is the king of the universe. Jesus Christ 
is God. He is the Lord. He is the, I mean, he is the king. That's why I would never call myself a priest. He is the great high priest. That each one may receive the things done in the body, what we've done with our life, according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. It's not knowing the goodness or the mercy or the love. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I trust are well known in your consciences, Paul said. He goes on to say, Christ died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. If you're in Christ, if you're claiming Christ this day, you should be living for Christ. And that's where we examine ourselves and test ourselves, make sure this is the true thing and that we've been born again. Because it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I don't do righteous deeds and I don't love telling people about Jesus and I don't love reading my Bible because I'm a good person and that's what you're supposed to do. I'm actually the worst person I ever met. I'm a total scumbag. God saved me. It was the day I realized Jesus was God and that he died for the ungodly. From that day, I was, I was a new creation. It, just like these, these words came to life, they were true. All the promises of God are yes and amen. And you might have come to or will come to Christ in a different way. But you, if you come to Christ, you will be a new creation. Not everyone, the lights turns on in 24 hours. Some people, it takes months. Some people, it takes years. But you will be a new creation. And so you will crave righteous things because God has had mercy on you and totally wiped out all your sins, totally forgiven you. But you have to go to Christ to get that forgiveness. Paul goes on to say, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. We're at enmity, hostility with God because we've joined in the rebellion of the devil, right? But God reconciles us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The same God that hates sin, that punishes sinners in the lake of fire. When we look up, we're at enmity with him, hostility with him, because his wrath abides on us. We know we've broken his holy law. That same God sent his own son into the world to die for us. That is love upon love and grace upon grace. That is a holy, righteous, just God who hates sin and a merciful, faithful, loving God who dies for sinners. He reconciles the world to himself. He does not impute their trespasses to them. And he commits to us, true believers, the word of reconciliation, the gospel. Now then, we, true believers, are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. I use this verse all the time during evangelism. This is what you're doing. You're literally begging people. You're saying, be reconciled to God. You're pleading with them. You don't understand. You must reconcile yourself to God. You don't know how terrifying God is. You haven't read his word. You haven't studied it. You don't understand. You can't be in the lake of fire on judgment day. This is terrifying. You have to flee from the wrath to come into the loving arms of Christ. And as you read more and more and more scripture, yes, you'll be totally fine uh, with the justice of God. And, and you're okay with that. And you understand how just and right the lake of fire. Had I never come to Christ, the lake of fire would have been a very appropriate place to put me for all eternity. I am vile, but God is rich in mercy. So you can love and uphold the justice and the law and the holiness of God and, and agree that if anyone rejects Christ, he deserves the lake of fire. But you can also uphold the, you need both sides, the love and the mercy of Christ as you call people be reconciled to God. And this is why you can do it. He made him, Jesus, 
who knew no sin to be sin for us. Not that Jesus became sin. Jesus was treated like a sinner. On the cross, the father crushed his own son, poured out his own wrath on his own son. The sins, me and you, the holy law we've broken, those sins Christ bore in his own body. He paid the full debt. He canceled out that debt among us. He paid the eternal lake of fire. He paid it all in three hours on the cross. And that was so that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ. So I am righteous today. I can say that with all boldness and all confidence. I'm a righteous man, but it's not my righteousness. It is the very righteousness of God. My favorite name for the Messiah, Jeremiah 23, the coming Messiah, the branch, he's the Lord, our righteousness. True biblical Christianity is the only true faith on earth that, that is not self-righteous. Every other faith, even if it's Catholicism, that's Jesus plus baptism or Jesus plus good works. It doesn't work. It's Jesus alone. I have no righteousness of my own. All my righteousness is filthy rags. Even the good things I do are soaked in sin and pride and arrogance. The only righteousness I have is the very righteousness of God. That's all I need. That's my only Hope, if Jesus didn't die for me, I'm not going to heaven. I mean, there's no other way to get there. I'm totally separate. I have no righteousness of my own. I don't want my own righteousness. But thank God I have access to the righteousness of God. And so you don't want to grow in self-righteousness where you try and establish your own righteousness and Jesus becomes a stumbling stone. You're like, you know, you know, there's so many ways false religion does this. It is truly Christ and Christ alone. I hope you guys enjoyed this video.